Why don't you join me in prayer as we begin? Father, we just, uh, uh, once again, we thank you for all the, the good things in our lives are from you. Thank you, Lord. Father, speak to us as we open your word. That you would speak to our hearts. That you would bring life change in areas where you want to see change in our lives. That you would bring encouragement, boldness, conviction, empowerment to walk with you, to be like you. By the power of your spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are starting a new sermon series this Sunday uh, on the book of Colossians. And so it's going to be a four-part series. Um, Colossians has four chapters. And so we're going to look at a passage in each chapter starting today, uh, chapter one today, and then going on to chapter two and so on. Uh, in the following weeks. Uh, but before we get started, we need to address some things about, um, you know, when we look at a text, when we dig into scripture, what we need to, you know, take into account when we do that. Now, it was about four years ago. <clears throat> Actually, it's almost to the day, four years ago, that I started here at Trinity. And uh, if you remember, I st- I did, we did a sermon series. The first series that I preached here at Trinity was Through the Bible in 90 Days. How many of you remember that, right? Wow, you're like, wow, what a, what a guy, you know, rookie pastor doing something. I was like, you know, I'm just going to preach through this whole thing. That's what I thought. In 90 days. And uh, yeah, that was crazy. We had a, we had a very rigorous reading plan. Um, you know, going through the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation in 90 days. And uh, it was quite a task. Many of us did do that. And um, each Sunday I preached on a passage from the week's readings. Now, if you remember that sermon series, one of the main points that I made throughout the whole series was that in order for us to get a full picture of what God is saying in his word, we need to do some digging into the historical cultural, sociological context of the time the word was written, right? In order for us to get an understanding of what's going on. Now, when you read the Old Testament, you get it because like there's things that's written in there and you're like, man, scratching your head. What is that all about? You know, why did they do that? And why did God say that? Um, It's hard for us to understand without doing some digging. And so um, we need to do that when we approach the scriptures. Um, For instance, for this week, And for this series, we're going to be going through the book of Colossians. So it's very helpful for us to do some digging into the world of the Colossian church. You know, what was going on in Colossae at the time Paul wrote this? You know, what were the people, how would the people have read or heard what Paul was saying? And what did Paul intend to say when he said it? Um, Those are things that we need to take into account when looking at the biblical text. Now, here's an example of a sentence that helps, you know, it helps for us to understand the historical context, to know what the writer meant when they wrote it. Okay, so here's the sentence. My son will be heading to California in a week's time. Okay, now we could be reading that and thinking, you know, 
that this person's son is probably going to California to hit the beach, right? California has nice beaches. It's a touristy state. Um, you can go to Universal Studios, Disney World, a lot of things to do in California, right? And so you think, okay, this person's going on a voyage, maybe. Um, uh, actually, my parents did a long road trip into, uh, into the States as well. And so, you know, that's probably what you would think when you read that sentence. But then let's say you read this letter and you notice at the top, it's dated 1849. Okay? And you're like, oh, now it takes on a whole world of a different meaning. Okay? The sun's not flying to California, right? And in 1849, there was a gold rush in California, okay? There's a little picture of things that were happening uh, in those days, right? There was a gold rush happening in California. So now when you read this sentence, it, there's other things to consider. That the sun is probably not headed for a vacation. That it's not a short voyage, it's a long voyage, probably a dangerous one, and that he's probably not coming back anytime soon, if ever, okay? The tone of the letter may have been a sad tone rather than a lighthearted tone, right? And so there's all these things to consider when you look at the historical context of a piece of writing, right? Of when that was penned, right? And that's so crucial for us to understand, especially the scriptures in the 21st century, okay? And it's definitely paramount for us to understand the world of the Colossians, when we look at the text. Okay, so here we go. What was going on in Colossae? Well, the city of Colossae, or Colossia, I've heard it pronounced different ways, but I'm going to say Colossae. The city of Colossae was a small city in the empire of Rome. Rome, at the time uh, Paul wrote this letter, which was probably around 60 AD, 60 to 62 AD, was a massive empire. Okay, Rome was huge, it spanned from Britain all the way to the outskirts of India. I mean, that's huge, right? Just imagine if there was an empire that big, like even looking at the European Union, for instance, right? If you look at that, how many different people groups, different cultural backgrounds, sociological backgrounds, history, all that, there's so much even within the European Union. But in Rome's time, in those days, that's a massive Massive territory with many, many different people groups. Wide range of cultures and beliefs and ideas, right? It was huge, right? Now, one of the amazing things about Rome was their infrastructure, right? Rome's infrastructure. They built amazing roads, right? Maybe you've heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome, right? They built really good roads. I think better than ours sometimes, you know, because we get potholes. and it's, What's going on, man? Rome didn't have potholes. Some of the Roman roads still exist today, right? Here's a picture of a, a, a Roman road that is still in existence today in the UK, right? Rome changed the world with their infrastructure. Their road systems made Rome more accessible, more efficient for trade, for commerce, for travel, Right? It was just, Rome made the world, world smaller, right? That's what they did. It's just amazing how they're able to do that. And uh, because of this, um, many different cultures, beliefs, ideas were able to kind of mesh together in the Roman Empire. Now, Colossae happened to be right on a major trade route, 
It was a small city. They didn't have a big trade, but they were uh, in the wool trade, which was big for the textile industry. But, I mean, they were right next to a major hub, Laodicea, which was a major trade city. And so a lot of people went through Colossae. Lots of people from different parts of Rome went through there. Okay? A lot of people with a lot of different ideas and a lot of different beliefs about gods, goddesses, deities, angels, spirits, all sorts of stuff was in Colossae. And because of this wide variety of views, the blending of these views was very common in Colossae. Okay, so for instance, you're, let's say you were in Colossae, you're a new believer, right? This church in Colossae was bringing in converts. You're a new believer who, you know, believed in all sorts of different things. And you, you bump into someone, they're like, oh, you're into channeling angels. Cool. You know, I'm going to add that to my Christianity. Cool. Or, or you bump into another person, oh, you're into all these mystical practices. I'm going to add that to my belief in Jesus. Okay, so this sort of thing was common in Colossae, right? There was a religious syncretism going on in Colossae at the time. Paul wrote this. I mean, this sort of thing happens even today, right? There's belief systems today that teach all roads lead to God, right? I mean, there's the Baha'i faith system. Now, that's what they, de- they teach. They teach that there's one God, many prophets, And all these prophets, they're sent to different parts of the world to speak to the people in the way they can understand this one God. The problem is, the message isn't the same. Like they say, Muhammad, Moses, Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, they're all these prophets from the one God. Problem is, they're not all saying the same thing. In fact, they're saying contradictory things, right? There's many gods, there's no God, there's one God. I mean, this this doesn't make sense. But there are faith systems like that today. And that was, this is what was happening then, and that's what Paul was kind of tackling head on uh, in the book of Colossians. And especially when we, and he, and he does it right away too in the first chapter. And we're going to take a look at a passage, just three verses, verses 15 to 18 together. Um, in fact, let's read this together, okay? Let's all read t- this together in one voice. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, this passage is perhaps the most eloquently, skillfully worded passage on Jesus in the entire New Testament. Right? It is so beautifully written. In fact, most scholars agree that this, not, you know, on top of the eloquent language, that this had a rhythm to it, almost like it was a song. And so scholars agree that this was probably a hymn that the early church sung in the church. When they gathered together, they sang this, Okay. Just like the songs that we sing today, the hymns, the songs that we sing today about Jesus, right? Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, we're we're singing about who Jesus is, 
our faith in Christ as all things, as our Savior, as our Lord, right? That's what this was likely, it was likely a hymn that the early church sung. And so Paul was quoting a hymn to the Colossian church, and he did that so that he was, you know, for the simple reason of pinpointing, listen, saying to the church, take a moment, read this, and reflect on what you're singing. Reflect on what it is that you're actually singing, right? Because there's times when we could sing something and our heart and our head are not matching We could sing about Jesus, his divinity, his majesty, that he is above all things, that he's our all-sufficient sacrifice, everything, and our lives don't match what we sing. That's not worship then. That's just singing, right? And so Paul was, was doing that. He's saying, look, look what you're singing in church, right? And so let's break it down. What, what are the points that Paul is making by quoting this hymn? First, That Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, the Greek word for image is the word akon, which means that which resembles an object, okay? Plato used this exact word to describe the sun's reflection on the water, right? It's the exact exact representation of something, right? The reflection, okay? Jesus is... Christ is the reflection of the invisible God, right? Math, uh, John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, right? Jesus is the reflection of God. In other words, Jesus Christ, listen, is God. If you want to see God, if you want to know God, meet Jesus. He's it. I love how Bill Johnson puts it from, from Bethel Church. He said, Jesus Christ is perfect theology, Theology is the study of God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Why? Because he is the reflection of the invisible God. He is it. Right? And this was a powerful statement to make in those days in the Colossian church. It was a statement to refute the, re- the religious syncretism of Paul's day. Right? Because they believed in all sorts of stuff. Greco-Roman gods, Egyptian gods. There's a whole list of things that the people in Colossae believed. And we know this historically because there's coins that were found from Colossae depicting the images of all these different gods on their coins. And so in Colossae, there was this religious syncretism going on. Right? But Paul was pinpointing to the fact that Jesus is God. You see, people make idols in the image of their gods. People make those images. But Jesus is the image of God, right? To further drive home the point that Jesus is God, Paul writes, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Jesus Christ, by him all things were created. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him, right? All things, you and I, everything around. God, Jesus Christ, he's the creator. He created all things for him, for his glory, right? Again, this statement was to refute the religious syncretism of that day. But but more than that, above that, beyond that, Paul was pointing to the fact that this hymn shouts, the supremacy of Christ over all creation, 
over all that is created, over all things, all people, all spirits, angels, visible, invisible, thrones, authorities, rulers. Listen, they're all under Jesus. They're all under Jesus, right? Jesus reigns supreme over all things. And Paul here is preaching the supremacy of Christ. The Greek gods, Roman gods, Egyptian gods, angel spirits, they're all under Jesus Christ, right? Verse 17 to 18, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Again, driving home the point, the supremacy of Christ over all things, that he is above all things. In him all things hold together. He is the sustainer of all life. Jesus is God. Now, the one thing I want to point out here is this word preeminent, okay? It says, this passage says that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent, okay? The word preeminent means to be placed first, to hold first place, okay? So in other words, what it's saying is in everything, Christ is to be made first in our lives. So in this passage that we just read, three verses, 15 to 18, Here's what Paul is saying. He's making three key points to the Colossian church about who Jesus is. And these points uh, apply to us as well today, reading it in the 21st century. Three things. Number one, Jesus Christ is above all things. Number two, that Jesus Christ is all we need. And three, Jesus Christ must be first in all things. Those are the Main points that he's saying to the church in Colossae. Okay, so first, let's look at this. Jesus Christ is far above all things. Okay, he's above all things. He's above all people. He's above all circumstances, all creation, all spiritual powers of the universe. I was having a a conversation with someone uh, not too long ago about um, dreams, about having, you know, not so nice dreams. In fact, they're more like attacks from the enemy. Uh, not just nightmares, but I mean uh, actual spiritual attacks. And I've had them happen before. Perhaps some of you may have have these happen to you as well. Uh, And in those times, I mean, the enemy wants to put fear into our lives. But Jesus Christ is above any spiritual entity out there, right? We declare Jesus over all, all the power of the enemy, right? And so I was encouraging this, this person I was having a discussion with. When those things happen, you declare Jesus. In Jesus' name, get out. In Jesus' name, be gone. Why? Because Christ is above all things. There's no spiritual entity, nothing, no power of the enemy that is above Jesus. There's nothing. He is above all things, right? No matter what seems to be taking power and authority in our lives, in this world, Christ is above it all. He is. He's above it all. Now, in Paul's day, it was thought that the Roman Empire was the salvation for humanity. That Rome was the salvation for humanity. That Roman peace, Pax Romana, was the answer to life. If you want to live a blissful, peaceful life, Rome was the salvation. Rome was the answer, right? But it wasn't true. It wasn't true. Christ is the answer. Christ is above all things, right? Christ is the one who gives life, hope, meaning, 
And he still does today. Rome. Where's Rome? Right? The historical test shows us. Rome isn't the salvation of humanity. It's not around anymore. Christ is. Why? Because he's above all things. Right? We put our focus on Christ. So no matter what seems to have power and authority, Christ is above it all. No matter who comes into power over a nation, even our southern brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter, okay? Christ is above it all, right? No matter what transpires in this world, no matter what happens in the Middle East, North Korea, whatever, Christ is above it all. We need to put our focus in him. He's the answer. Second, Christ is all we need. Verse 19 says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Nothing else needs to be added to Christ for salvation. Right? Jesus Christ is all we need. Because in those days, again, there was religious syncretism. Addition of practices, rules, regulations, do this, do that, all sorts of stuff added to Christ, right? But that wasn't right. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. Jesus Christ is everything, is all we need. A relationship with Jesus is what we need. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. When we add things to Jesus, we take away from his all-sufficiency, It's not Jesus Christ plus rules and regulations. It's not Jesus Christ plus all these spiritual practices and beliefs in spiritual beings and things, which we'll get to next week. It's Jesus plus nothing, which equals everything. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. God fully manifested in his Son, To be for us the all-sufficient sacrifice, our faithful God, our perfect counselor, our greatest treasure, Christ is all we need. Everything else flows from that dynamic, intimate relationship with Christ. Lastly, Jesus Christ must be first in all things. Now, I've said this before here at Trinity. We need to put Jesus first. Jesus must be first in your life. How many times have you heard that, right? Jesus must be first. Now, of course, that's true. But what does that mean? It's one of those Christianese statements that we make. What does it mean? What does it look like to make Christ first? I was watching uh, a part of the Olympics, and uh, I came across this one interview um, of the synchronized diving team from the United States. They didn't know that was an event. It's a pretty cool event, though. Pretty neat. I actually found out it was an event for the first time in 2016. Unless it is a new event. Is it a new event? Okay. Anyways. (laughs) Uh, Anyways. I was watching the interview, and uh, it blew my mind. I mean, I was just blown away by what, uh, these two folk, two two guys said uh, in the interview. Um, it was with uh, David Budia and Steele Johnson. There they are, right? NBC interviewed them after they won the silver medal, and uh, in front of millions of people watching all over the world, they 
proclaimed Jesus. It was beautiful. It was, it was stunning. I, I was just stunned. Right? This is what David Budia said. This is what he said. When my mind is on this diving, okay, by the way, the reporter's like, hey, hey, you want a silver medal? Good for you type of thing. And, he, and then when he was being interviewed, he said, when my mind is on this diving and I'm thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we both know that our identity is in Christ and we are thankful for this opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil and in front of the United States. Wow. It's like, wow, that was a really cool answer. And then his, his uh, teammate spoke right after, and this is what he said. The way David just described it was flawless. The fact that I was going into this, into this event, knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not what the result of this competition is, just gave me peace. And it let me enjoy the contest. I was like, wow. Their aim in life, their focus, their attention is Christ. That's what it means to put Christ first, is that your aim in life is Christ I mean, think about it for a moment. Such a small percentage of humanity ever make it to the Olympics. To do what they do is an incredible achievement. It's huge. And there they are on the world stage declaring Christ first. Huge. What a powerful statement. What they do then is an opportunity to serve Christ. What they're doing is an opportunity that Christ gave them to do. That's how they view it. That's how they view their life. They're not defined by the show the, or the, the achievements. They're not defined by the medal, the things that they're doing. They're defined by Christ. Their focus, their aim is Christ. So Paul is encouraging the Colossian church and he's, in, and he's encouraging us as well. Let your aim in life be Christ, be Jesus. I love the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. So powerful. I'm so powerfully moved by the words of this hymn. It's declaring, when we sing this hymn, Jesus, you are first. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. 
Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and Thou only, but first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure Thou art. Join me as we pray. Lord, You are the center Be the center of our lives. Be our all in all. I just want you to take a moment, just as we're silent, just to reflect on your life, even in this past week, maybe in the past couple months, year. You know, Jesus is always calling us to come back into alignment with him. And so in your own way, I want to encourage you to pray, God, Jesus, I want you to be first in my life. I want my aim in life to be you, your glory, your kingdom. Jesus, we thank you that you reconcile all things to yourself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross, that in you we are free from the power of sin, the power of death. We're set free. Father, we thank you that you call us into a vibrant, intimate alive relationship with you and we discover it when our aim is you is your kingdom help us to keep our eyes focused on you and not on the waves of the sea that toss to and fro but on you you are the calmer of all storms you are the sustainer of all things You give abundant life. You are everything. And we exalt your name. So in the mighty name, in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome week.